While land acknowledgments are intended to honor Native and Indigenous communities that have been longtime stewards of our land, they can oversimplify tribal histories and fail to recognize the ongoing impacts of colonization that Indigenous communities and individuals of tribal descent continue to experience. That's why today, City Club wants to share with you this call to action developed by Ecotrust and inspired by the Indigenous staff members. We thank the Oregon Chapter of American Leadership Forum, which generously shared this practice with us. To support Indigenous peoples and tribes, you can take action in your community by advocating for and working to give land back to tribes. By protecting the environment and salmon, they are critical to tribal culture. By insisting that the United States respect tribal sovereignty and uphold its trust responsibility to tribes, which includes appropriate levels of federal funding to support tribal needs. By expecting civil leaders who serve you to understand tribal governments, sovereignty, relationships, and laws. By investing in tribal communities, by supporting tribal-owned businesses. By challenging and rejecting stereotypes about indigenous people. By insisting that your children and grandchildren are taught accurately about the histories, cultures, and contemporary lives of indigenous peoples. And by informing yourself about issues impacting indigenous communities and speaking up. As you consider what it looks like to care for and better this place we all call home, we encourage you to do your part by taking these and other actions. Now to today's program. City Club is proud to present a roundtable debate on Portland Measure 26228, referred to the ballot by the Portland Charter Commission, made up of fellow community members. Before doing so, here's a little information on Portland City Club. More than 100 years ago, City Club hosted its first public forums and debates. While a lot has changed since then, City Club continues to strive to be an independent, nonpartisan organization. We are committed to providing a space for people to gather and participate in lively conversations. We also take pride in our member-driven research about critical issues confronting our communities. City Club is committed to supporting and defending an open and inclusive public square. We support open dialogue where opposing points of view can meet to move solutions forward. City Club generates research and adopts positions as an organization, but members always represent a range of views on any given subject, and we wouldn't have it any other way. If this is a mission that resonates with you, I invite you to join us as a member or donor today. Now through, member October, now through Monday, October 31st, begin or renew a City Club membership at a special rate of just $10 per month or $120 per year. Visit pdxcityclub.org to learn more. City Club has been sustained through the generous support of our members, donors, partners, and sponsors. We are grateful for the collective support from all of our supporters, and we hope you'll join them. We thank our community partners on today's program, including series partners Chevron and The Standard, and supporting partners Samuels Yolen Cantor and Nancy Davis Consulting. Thanks also to our media partners X-Ray FM and Open Signal for making this program accessible on public radio and television. Finally, I want to express appreciation to the volunteer producers of today's debate, Leslie Johnson and Maya Harris. I also want to thank City Club's communications manager, Kayla Kennett, and the entire Fall 2022 Debates Committee for working so hard to make this event possible. 
It is now my pleasure to thank all participants of today's important debate and to welcome Rebecca Ellis, our moderator. Rebecca is a reporter and producer covering City Hall for Oregon Public Broadcasting. She reports on city politics, housing, homelessness, policing, transportation, and more for radio and web. Before OPB, Rebecca reported for the Miami Herald and NPR. She graduated from Brown University with a degree in urban studies in 2018. This is Rebecca's first appearance at a city club debate. Rebecca, welcome. Thank you so much, Bobby. And a big welcome to all of you watching. We have a packed 75 minutes for you today. City Club is hosting a roundtable debate on Measure 26-228, which was referred to the November ballot by the Charter Commission. We have four speakers with us today. Two of them will urge you to vote yes, and the other two want you to vote no. Today, the two sides will have equal opportunity to share their perspectives. As moderator, I have the final word on today's questions, but City Club has established the guidelines for the overall format. So let's introduce our speakers in alphabetical order. Saul Mora is the campaign manager of Portland United for Change, the coalition to pass Measure 26-228. She's also the civic engagement manager at the Coalition of Communities of Color. She was born in Tijuana, Mexico, and graduated from Portland State University with a bachelor's degree in women's studies. Sol has worked as a community organizer for several years with a focus on creating a more equitable government and democracy. She's previously worked on statewide ballot measures and community engagement efforts, like the We Count Oregon 2020 census campaign. Vidim Mozerski was born in Kyiv, Ukraine. He received a Juris Doctorate degree from the University of Texas School of Law. Before his current work as an administrative law judge, he practiced litigation and mediation. Vadim is active in the Portland community, focusing on disability, immigrant, and public safety issues. He's served on numerous city commissions and committees, institutional advisory boards, and in community-based organizations. Vadim is a national union representative for AFL-CIO, IFPTE, and Judicial Council One. He's a former co-chair of the Portland Charter Commission. Vadim is here to oppose Measure 26-228. Alyssa Pishka is the president of Bridge Economic Development, a woman-owned business enterprise consulting firm that works with cities, counties, and regional organizations to deliver economic development strategies and action plans. Alyssa has over 20 years of experience in urban planning, real estate, and economic development. She's an adjunct professor at the College of Urban and Public Affairs at Portland State University. Alyssa holds a bachelor's degree in history from Miami University at Oxford, Ohio, and graduate degree in urban planning from University of Kansas. Alyssa is also here to oppose Measure 26-228. Becca Yerbalau has more than 25 years of experience working in community and public service, grassroots advocacy, electoral politics, and policy development. She currently works for Multnomah County and has served as the Community Relations Manager for Metro. In a prior role, Becca was the Executive Director of Our Oregon, leading the organization's work to advance social and economic justice with a focus on ballot measures. Becca is a member of the Executive Committee of the New Oregon Movement and also on the board of Ballot Initiative Strategy Center and Forward Together Action. Becca is a current Charter Commissioner, but today she's here in a personal capacity to support Measure 26-228. To all our speakers, welcome. Now, before we get started, I'd like to provide a brief explanation of Measure 26-228 
which will appear on your November 2022 ballot. This measure was referred to Portland voters by the Charter Commission. If passed by voters in November, Measure 26-228 would result in the following changes to Portland's government and elections. A city administrator supervised by the mayor would manage daily operations, including hiring, firing, and supervising bureau directors. The city council would grow from five to 12 members with three councilors elected to represent each of four geographic districts. The council would make laws, but no longer supervise bureaus. The mayor may introduce laws and vote to break ties. City elections would use a ranked choice voting process that allows voters to rank candidates in order of preference. Now, let's get to some ground rules. We're gonna begin with opening statements and each side will have two minutes. Next, we'll move to an open question and answer section to help our viewers better understand the Charter Commission's ballot measure and the arguments from each side. Speakers will have 90 seconds to respond to those questions. It's their choice how to divide that time between them. City Club has provided a timekeeper and we ask that you each please observe the time limit to be respectful of each other's time. Finally, each side will have two minutes for closing statements. Also, keep in mind, I may jump in at any point to seek clarification or ask follow-up questions. All right, we're gonna get to opening statements. The order was determined by a coin flip just before we got underway. We're gonna go in the same order for closing statements. And for questions, we're gonna be alternating who goes first. So we're gonna get started with opening statements. Uh, each side will have two minutes. I believe, yes side, you are up first. Hello everyone. I want to start off by talking about the robust community engagement process that shaped Measure 26228. The City of Portland partnered with over 20 community-based organizations to hear from Portlanders at large, as well as from Portlanders that typically have not had a seat at City Hall. Measure 26228 was shaped by the people and for the people using their community input. Measure 26228 will increase the efficiency of city services through the professional management of a city administrator. This will also allow city council to focus on our current issues and the big problems within the city. Measure 26228 will also increase geographic representation for all Portlanders across the city and better capture the local range of perspectives within each of those districts through multiple council members. Lastly, Measure 26228 is about increasing representation for all Portlanders, from women to people of color to renters. We will have a more inclusive democracy where everyone truly has a seat at the table. Measure 26228 is supported by a broad and diverse coalition of over 50 community-based organizations, from labor unions like the Portland Association of Teachers to AFSME Local 189, which represents Portland City employees to SEIU Local 49, which represents healthcare workers and janitors. We also have support from civic groups like the NAACP, the League of Women Voters, Basic Rights Oregon, ACLU of Oregon, and lastly, we also have support from many direct service providers like the Oregon Food Bank and Central City Concern. All of these organizations are united behind this measure because we understand that we cannot delay change any longer, and this is a solution to a better Portland. No side, your opening statement. Well, thank you everybody for uh, watching online. Um, it's very much appreciated that you're giving your time to this very important vote. 
Um, I served on the Charter Commission and was the first co-chair. And I think uh, we agree on many of the aspects of the current proposal, including a city manager. We heard from a lot of people that they wanted to have um, a city manager rather than elected officials in charge of bureaus. Uh, we agree with district voting. And we even agree with ranked choice voting of the kind that's used um, in other cities like New York City. And that, that should be on the ballot for people to decide. The main difference that we have here is this very unique form of single transferable vote and multi-member districts. That is something that is not used anywhere in the United States. And so I will just quote the Oregonian endorsement that said vote no on this. The, pro uh, the proposal introduces deeply flawed provisions that threaten to make city government even more dysfunctional and less accountable. The model is built on highly optimistic assumptions that don't match reality. And parts of the proposal itself are so confusing that supporters themselves have repeatedly misstated what is required. And so we're moving from um, a, a form of government that no one is using, a commission form of government, to one that, again, no one is using in the United States as multi-member districts with single transferable vote. It does not provide accountability because people will elect three people from each district, so you won't know who's in charge of what, you won't know whom to keep in office, whom to vote out. Very much similar problems that we have right now where you're electing four people from Portland at large. Um, it'll be dysfunctional because 25% plus one vote will actually get people into office and we'll see in other areas that it has created French candidates being elected into office as well as in Malta a constitutional crisis in 1981. And so I, I think instead let's vote on something that we know works. Mingus Maps has proposed a plan that's based on what's working in San Francisco, in Seattle, and other places around the country rather than this experiment. All right, thank you both. We're going to get into a lot of what you guys touched on in the questions about the measure itself. Some of these questions are going to be coming from me, and some questions have been submitted by the viewers. You'll have either 60 seconds to respond to audience questions, 90 seconds to respond to questions I've asked. Um, OK, so we're going to start with the no side, since the yes side opened up. Clearly, there's consensus, and this you'll have 90 seconds. Clearly, there's consensus that Portland's form of government needs to change. What do you envision as Portland's ideal form of government? Why is this the right structure for the city? Well, I think it's what Vadim opened up. We agree with many of the aspects of the current proposal, right? Removing the commission form, bringing in a city manager. What we're really concerned about is the fundamental issue of the districts, right? And we agree also with having um, geographic districts, improving representation of East Portland. That's really critical. But the fundamental core issue that we believe is so important is having a single member district so that we can hold people accountable versus the multi-member. It becomes a situation you don't know who is responsible for following through on actions and there can result in significant finger pointing. So that's really where we are on this position. Yeah, and I, I would like to add that um, when you look at the top 40 largest cities in the United States, they do give um, the mayor a veto which uh, allows an at-large representation on city council. That veto can be overridden by um, city council. And so Seattle has that, um, San Francisco has that. Right now, the proposal as espoused by Mingus Maps and uh, the studies that uh, his organization has done uh, will allow for seven districts and people would be able to elect one representative, possibly using ranked choice voting if they'd like, from those seven districts. Um, but there would not be anyone that has an at-large view of the city. 
And under the current proposal, the mayor would only have a tie-break vote. We need to have that at-large representation, which the proposal that people can vote for in May will allow. All right, we're going to get into a lot of that, but I would like to hear from the yes side now. What do you see as Portland's ideal form of government structure, and why is this the right one? I think this is Portland's ideal structure because the Charter Commission, when they designed this proposal, they studied Portland's electorate and Portland's geography specifically. I know that multi-member districts is what the opposition claims will not work for Portland, but when you look at Portland's geography, because renters, because people of color, because working class people are so spread out across the city, if you draw a district, those communities will always be underrepresented because they are not the majority population in those areas. What we also see happening with single member districts, which the Sightline Institute just found within their research, was that they become very hyper-localized and insular. So in order to keep that regional perspective and that citywide perspective of issues, that is what multi-member districts bring. They allow a multitude of perspectives to be captured within a district. And as a community member, you have different options for who you would like to be reaching out to city council. I like to use the example of myself as a renter. I would prefer to reach out to the city council member that is going to champion my issues and that I know genuinely does care about me being a renter and what that experience holds. So I would say that the Charter Commission looked at a wide range of different alternatives. You know, they looked at different options within the United States, across the world, and what they found was that this specific proposal with multi-member districts and a professional city administrator is what works. So I wanna, I wanna talk more about district representation now. Um, Portland's one of the last remaining cities where all city commissioners represent the entire city. This measure, as you've said, will introduce district representation in Portland where the city will be carved up into four districts, each represented by three commissioners. This question goes for both of you. You'll each have 90 seconds. Will this change make more Portlanders feel that their government works for them? And if so, how? Start with you guys now. Sure, I'll, I'll start off. Uh, yes, this change will absolutely guarantee, by the way, for the first time in the history of our city, geographic representation for all Portlanders. And the proposal will lead to increased representation for folks who have not had a voice and a seat at the table in City Hall. If you look at our history, since 1995, 75% of the folks who've served on City Council have been white men. We've had nine women, five people of color, only two folks who have lived east of 82nd. This measure will change all of that. Again, guaranteed geographic representation for all Portlanders, at the same time also ensuring that folks from different ideologies and different lived experiences have representation on the council. And as Sol mentioned, Portlanders will also have multiple pathways to make a connection with a one of their member of the city council, both in terms of connecting to help uh, develop policy and also connecting to help them navigate and access city services. Yeah, one thing that I want to add is that cities that have ranked choice voting have seen better overall electoral outcomes for women and people of color, which like Becca outlined, have been historically underrepresented in the city of Portland. According to a 2020 study by Represent Women, over the last decade, women have won 48% of all municipal RCV elections. So what we're seeing with the data across jurisdictions in the United States and around the world is that we will have a more inclusive government, and that will lead to a more functioning government too. 
No side, I want to hear from you. Will this change make more Portlanders feel that their government works for them with these multi-member districts? Uh, no, no, it will not. And uh, once again, there's a lot of promises being made about how this will improve everything from representation to voter turnout to proportionality of who gets elected. But once, uh, you know, we always look at the facts. And so the Oregonian went to Baltimore, Maryland, which had multi-member districts until 2002. They moved away to single-member districts by a vote of 66% to 34%. Why? Well, here's a quote from one of their current politicians, the first uh, Latina, woman that, uh, Latina woman that actually was elected to city council. It was problematic, extremely problematic. Residents didn't know where to go when they had a problem. There often were concerns about whether all three worked equally or whether one or two were simply skating by. Sounds very familiar as to what we're dealing with right now. When you have three representatives, uh, they can all do different things. You don't know who's doing, who, who do you call, who's going to be working on homeless issues, trash issues, um, all those things. Nobody knows right now, and it's not actually uh, outlined. The other aspect is we don't even know what the districts will look like right now. So when it says everyone's going to have proportional representation, um, those districts were not outlined. So the West will probably be one district, but it'll gobble up a little bit of the East side uh, because the West is not big enough in itself. And so right now, um, to say it's proportional is just a guess because um, you won't know what districts you'll actually fall in. Yes, I, want, I actually want to ask you about that Baltimore example because it's something I hear about a lot. Two decades ago, voters in that city decided uh, they wanted to replace multi-member districts with single-member districts because they felt they weren't getting well represented. Why will what happened in Baltimore not just play out again in Portland if we vote yes? Can I, can I just say, it's not an apples-to-apples apples comparison. In fact, I've said this before, it's like comparing an apple to a bowl of soup, right? They are just fundamentally different. And in fact, the Baltimore model that did not work for them is a model that the US Department of Justice says has violated the, the Voting Rights Act. Whereas the model that this ballot measure includes is what the US Department of Justice offers up and mandates as a remedy for violations to the Voting Rights Act. So what is in the measure is not the same, and it's actually pretty disingenuous to keep uh, making the comparison of the two. Um, and again, this measure, proportional rep, uh, ranked choice voting coupled with multi-member districts will result in more folks who have not had a seat at the table. They'll have more voice in City Hall. I want to give you uh, 30 seconds to respond to that. Why this, they're saying that's not an apples to apples comparison at all. The distinction is the voting method. And that's what they, so the, the system in, in Baltimore is equivalent to what we are going to be adopted, the, the method that failed. What the proponents say why it's so different between apples and soup is how we are electing people. And I think we need to be clear that the ranked choice voting is very different for the mayor, which is 50% plus one. But what we're talking about for electing the multi-member districts is single transferable vote, which only takes a 25% threshold. And the Oregonia did an excellent job of explaining it doesn't even take 25% and we could end up with very fringe, unexperienced member, uh, council members based on that system. I, I'm gonna, I wanna get into ranked choice voting in a second, but a, a few more questions on district representation. One of the arguments um, for charter reform we hear a lot is that the city council has been dominated by white men from richer neighborhoods for a long, long time, and the changes in this ballot measure will make the council more racially and economically diverse. But Portland now has its most racially diverse city council in history. Why do you think that's the case, and does it negate the need for district representation? We will start with 
No, I do not think it negates the need at all because what we are looking at in Portland is a structural issue. You cannot take out this one example and say that the system itself was not designed in a very specific way. If you look at the history of winner-take-all systems which originated in Great Britain, they were designed at a time when many people did not have voting rights. And historically, that has had a long-lasting legacy and impact on our current system. You have to look at the history in Portland and all of those great statistics that Becca mentioned. We have only had two councillors live east of 82nd Avenue. That to me is a structural issue. It is a problem with the structure of the winner-take-all system specifically. And when we're looking at proportional representation and single transferable vote across the world, we do see that it is increasing representation for women, people of color, working class people. That is data that exists empirically, and it is important to remind ourselves that it's not only a problem of what measure 26228 will, will bring, but it is tested and we are citing studies and data across the world of what single transferable vote does. No side, I'd like to hear your response to that question. So I, I think, um, you know, the, this is a question of uh, the proponents saying, don't trust your lying eyes. Because yes, our city council is very diverse, 80% from marginalized communities, 60% from minority communities, 80% from East Portland. Why is that? Why have we had so much success in providing equity to our city government? Because we have finally finance uh, uh, controls over our city elections where you can only raise so much money where rich people cannot control who's being elected. And that has leveled the playing field and resulted in wonderful outcomes. I myself ran for office. <coughs> the three top vote getters in my primary were a black woman, uh, a son of a Hispanic a migrant worker, and myself, an immigrant from the Ukraine. That says a lot about Portland. Where else can you um, see something like that? It says a lot about our voters, the conscientiousness of our voters, and the two top winners, both from East Portland, um, that are now in the general election. So I think um, what we already have in place provides a lot of the solutions that the pro side is saying. Um, on the other hand, uh, what they're saying will succeed is also not something that we're seeing in other cities. So if you go to the More Equitable Democracy website, which is actually a proponent of ranked choice voting, they have a documentary on East Point, Michigan, where the first time they introduced a single transferable vote, four people ran for two offices in city council, two black people, two white people. The two white people won under this system. The mayor, who was elected under a different form of ranked choice voting, such as you have in New York City and others, was a black woman. She was elected to uh, uh, the mayor. So the promises made are not something we're seeing in reality. Um, I'm gonna go for two audience questions right now. This one is from Sandy. Why so few districts? Should there be more? No side, you take the lead on this. I'll have to ask the, the yes, why so few districts, but we agree um, with the alternative proposal from Mingus Maps, which is seven districts, right? And there's no disputing. We agree that we should have geogra geographic representation and with districts. So yes, we think that's important. What we're disagreeing about is how our council representation will be served within those districts. And again, we see by having multiple members within those districts, it's, it's as Vadim says, it's gonna have a very similar process to what we have now. We have all of our council members elected at large across the city. We hear over and over, I don't get calls back. I don't get my problem solved. No one's, no one's held accountable. We're gonna replicate that system now into four different districts. 
So th that's where we see the real concerns. We're, we have no problems with districts, and we agree with that. And I think the proposal is seven districts, so more districts um, than the pro side is now asking. Right now, each district is the size of Salem or Eugene. The proposal from Ingus Maps, which will be on the ballot in May of 2023, is going to be seven districts more along the lines of school lines, districts that you already understand and probably already vote along with. Why so few districts? I want to start off by grounding us in one thing, which is that single member districts in Portland will dilute the voting power of people of color, renters, and working class people. In the other jurisdictions across the United States where you see single member districts, they rely on populations being heavily segregated because you're able to draw a district in which they are the majority. That is not the reality in Portland because of gentrification and all of the different impacts where people of color and many of these communities have been pushed out of their historical neighborhoods. So if we want better representation and more choices and political power for all of those Portlanders that have not had a seat at the table, this is the proposal that will bring that. I also want to go back to the sightline research that was recently published, which looks at the growth of affordable housing within single member districts. What you find is that it stalls and drops off by 20% because those districts become insular. They become more focused on neighborhood issues and not that regional perspective. I guess I'd still, because we did have a few questions about that. For, for those people who are saying, well, four seems so small, why not? seven, eight, nine, however many, what, what's your, your response to? I would just add, there was months of conversation both among the Charter Commission and with hundreds of Portlanders to inform this decision. We looked at a variety of different scenarios. We spent a long time talking about single member districts and, and came to the same conclusion that Sol just outlined. And the four districts with the three members was the best way to accomplish the two goals of guaranteed geographic neighborhood-based representation for the first time in our city and an increased opportunity for folks who have not had you know, small business owners, women, people of color, renters, to have an opportunity to get elected and or elect a candidate of their choice. So it was really both based on research and talking to other jurisdictions who have similar models and also just based on feedback from Portlanders. I have 30 seconds. Uh, so like Becca, I was on the Charter Commission and when we made this proposal, um, and the proposal for voting did not change from day one till the last day. Um, it, the only thing that changed was the number of people, 12. Um, but you know, we had 30% uh, more people opposed who came to our sessions and testified. 30% more opposed this recommendation. They wanted more districts. They wanted um, single member. They had a lot of qualms about the price. The, the Charter Commission did not change it at all. So to say that this was inclusive and included a lot of testimony goes against the facts of being in the Charter Commission and listening to those people wanting something different. That is a wholly inaccurate representation of the feedback that we received from Portlanders. I'm going to give you 30 more seconds and then you'll respond and then we're going to move on. Why, why are you saying that's inaccurate? Because it's just not true. If you look at the 18 months, the bodies of, uh, we had 187 meetings, 187 presentation briefings, 87 meetings where we were deliberative and had public testimony. I, I'm not quite sure what he's referencing, um, but it is just fundamentally not true. And you can go to the Charter Commission's website and comb through all of the data that shows repeatedly that, sure, there are people who didn't uh, 
support this proposal. That's absolutely true. Reasonable people can disagree. But it is completely disingenuous to misrepresent the facts. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to respond, so it's even, and then we're going to move on. Why, why, what do you say to that? Yeah, I, I welcome everybody to go on. The public comments are outlined there. We had listening sessions once uh, the proposal was uh, brought forth by uh, the Charter Commission. And uh, most of the people that actually came and testified uh, based on that proposal uh, found fault with it. Uh, also, um, I want to say that it's disingenuous to say that this is uh, something that um, was based on people's input when really the recommendation that we got initially was multi-member districts with ranked choice voting. And what came out at the end was multi-member districts with ranked choice voting. So I don't see where uh, uh, people that came off the street and testified made any difference in that proposal. All right, I want to move on to one more audience question and then on to, to Mayor. This is from Ron. You're going to have 60 seconds. We start with the no side now. Can both candidates talk about their views on gerrymandering? There's a concern that geographic districts will enable independent actors to section off particular neighborhoods, giving more privileged areas access to their own representation. Since both sides propose geographic districts and they're doing proposals, how would we avoid such a setup in Portland that has plagued other cities? So I think one issue to think about, and the pro side has said in some situations that the nice thing about the multi-member districts is it will neutralize NIMBYs, right? It'll ne neutralize their voice, which infers people who are against housing. It's a negative, it's a pejorative comment. And I think what's important is if you negate one voice, you're negating all. There's also NIMBYs in neighborhood that don't want brownfields or contaminated uh, environment in their backyard. They're also advocating, no, not in my backyard, I don't want this. So I think it's disingenuous to say this will be a more regional focus and we're not gonna listen to the neighbors anymore. It's, they're advocating that the neighbor's voice are neutralized. And I think, yes, you're gonna have issues. Yes, you will have more wealthy neighbors having a voice. But to look only at that situation, we have to look at the entire system. To neutralize one voice, you're neutralizing them all. And I think that's an important question for you as Portlanders to think about. Do you want my voice as a neighbor to be neutralized by this system that is being promoted with multi-member districts? Yes, I, can I hear your response to that question about gerrymandering and how do we prevent that? I want to respond to what you just said because we are not saying that this proposal will negate neighborhood voices. That is absolutely inaccurate. Multi-member districts allow a localized perspective to be heard at the same time that you're not losing the regional perspective because those council members are collaborating to bring their district's perspectives and priorities back to the full council. We are not saying that neighborhood voices will not be represented. So I just wanted to start off there. The second thing I will say is that because multi-member districts are larger, they allow gerrymandering to be less severe in those specific cases. Single member districts are smaller and so it is easier to separate communities of interest and we see that happening across the United States. Multi-member districts, because of their nature, allow communities of interest to be better consolidated and stay together. And I also want to mention that the Charter Commission thought very diligently about what the process would look like to draw these district lines. That is why they chose a very community-centered process to be a part of that. Thank you. Um, okay, we are gonna talk about mayor and a little bit about city administrator positions now. And we'll have 90 seconds for both sides of these. The role of mayor would change dramatically under this ballot measure. The mayor would no longer be part of council. They would not vote unless the council was deadlocked. 
Is this making Portland's already pretty weak mayor position even weaker? You guys? Not at all. Not at all. Moving the mayor um, into mayor council model, where in partnership with the city administrator, they will be fundamentally responsible and account directly accountable to voters for the effective delivery of city services. That is not the case now. The mayor will have full authority as an executive, but it was very important, and we heard this repeatedly from Portlanders over the last 18 months, honestly, regardless of where you fell on other parts of the policy, that it was fundamental to ensure a balance of power between the mayor and the council that Portlanders are not interested, either currently or historically, we looked back, you know, this has been tried and repeated, uh, tried uh, repeatedly and failed spectacularly. In 2007, uh, it, it failed by 75-25 in terms of the margin because Portlanders did not want to concentrate too much power in the mayor. And so that's why this compromise position gives the mayor a tiebreaker vote, which helps avoid gridlock. The mayor proposes a budget, the mayor can introduce legislation, and the mayor has full authority to ensure the effective service delivery of, um, of services to Portlanders and to implement policy with fidelity. The other thing I would mention is uh, it is not unusual for a city in a mayor council model to not have a mayoral veto. In fact, 41% of the top 100 cities do not have a mayoral veto. And so this is not an unusual structure. It happens in other systems when mayor, the mayor has the authority and ability and accountability to voters to deliver um, on what Portlanders need. No side there saying no, this won't make the mayor's position weaker. It is what you wanted. Do you believe this will make the... I, I believe it because um, actually uh, Ted Wheeler came in and testified at city at, at, a, at the Charter Commission meetings, and the proposal at that point in time was that the mayor would not even have a tiebreaker vote, and he came in said, you know, this is my experience. We need to have the mayor participate in some way. His proposal was a veto power, as 75% of the uh, cities, uh, top 40 cities, have, including our neighbors, Seattle and San Francisco. Um, instead, um, the the uh, the compromise was a tiebreak vote, which means the mayor will not be uh, participating in day-to-day -day life. But I think more importantly. Um, we have, uh, whether it be under this measure or under the proposal from Mingus Maps, Commissioner Mingus Maps, um, we'll have districts. And so you'll have districts vying for money, vying for budget, vying for uh, resources. And you need to have some sort of at-large representation to make city council. You know, we heard about checks and balances and even in the playing field. Well, the, what's the check and balance on city council when they control the purse strings, when city council with a supermajority can actually fire the city manager if they wanted to or just reduce the salary of the city manager? And so the proposal right now that you can vote for in May of 2023, the proposal that Mingus Maps has uh, outlined already, would give a mayor that veto power so many other cities do. Other cities allow the mayor to vote with city council. Some have council manager where there is no mayor. But with this kind of mayor, it becomes very weak. There's no input from an at-large perspective, and we need that for the future of our city. This is an audience question from Clay, and it, it kind of touches on what you both brought up, but I, I would like to hear you answer it. Under this form of government, the mayor will not have a veto power. What are the risks associated with a vetoless mayor? Conversely, why should we lean towards a more council-driven government? No side, 60 seconds. So, uh, okay if I follow up? Um, yeah, so uh, let me just run through a few scenarios uh, that there are possibilities here. Um, West Portland will have three votes. East Portland will have nine votes. Um, now, there might be some issues with budget over there where um, uh, uh, the, the needs of certain districts will not be accounted for. 
and so having a mayor out there that has a broad view of the city as a whole uh, from budget standpoint from other standpoints would be important same thing with southeast versus north or east portland you can have districts um, where you have six representatives come together um, and all they need is one more vote somehow and you have uh, that nimbyism that they saying will not occur um, there's no at-large representation under the current proposal because the mayor is very weak and so I think it's very important to have that there's a lot of scenarios where for the long-term view of Portland for the long-term needs planning ahead not just what's needed right now um, in certain areas you need to have that at-large representation that veto provides it I'd like to hear your response to that sure can I can I just say what you're contemplating Vadim is essentially giving all the power to the mayor because of the at-large perspective. And first of all, with the larger geographic multi-member districts, there is both a neighborhood perspective and a regional perspective that folks are bringing to the table. So that doesn't make any sense to me. And you are validating exactly what we heard repeatedly from Portlanders about what their fear was, which is concentrating too much power in one individual, concentrating too much power in the mayor. And that's essentially what you're advocating for. And that is something that Portlanders do not want. Repeatedly, they ask for a balance of power. There are other components of this measure that balance power. For example, the mayor uh, chooses a city administrator, but that city administrator must be confirmed by majority vote of council. And this was kind of like the anti-corruption right, uh, form of the policy. We don't want the city administrator to be a political appointee. We want them to be a professional person who has experience in effectively managing cities. So there are a variety of different components of this policy that both lead to functionality and also ensure a balance of power. I would like to hear a response. Are you, would you say you are advocating for a mayor with most of the power? Uh, I don't think the, at what I'm advocating is most of the power at all. It's a check and balance, like our president has a check and balance as 75% of the cities around us have checks and balances. Uh, what, you know, this veto can be overridden by city council. Right now we have a, a proposal from the pro side where city council has all the power. They can decide uh, which city manager gets hired because they have to authorize that. They can decide which city manager gets fired. So if they don't like what the mayor is doing, they can fire the city manager as well. They can decide the budget. There's no check and balance in the system at all. So it's not about all the power, it's uh, some of the power. I want to give you 30 seconds to respond to that if you want, and then we're going to move on to ranked choice voting. Sure. I think we need to figure out what the definition of power is, right? Right now, the city council will become a legislative body, and their responsibility and accountability uh, to voters will be to set policy. And they'll be able to do that more effectively in these um, multi-member districts in combination and coalition with community. So policy will be better informed. Sure, that's a form of power. Uh, the mayor will have the responsibility, authority, obligation, and will be accountable to voters for service delivery and implementation of that power. If, if Portlanders are worried about who has the power to pick up their trash, the mayor's gonna have the power to pick up your trash, right? With, along with the city administrator, ensuring that there is a cohesive approach to a trash pickup policy. Thank you. Um, all right, on to ranked choice voting, which has become one of the most controversial and I think complex aspects of this measure, which is using ranked choice voting within multi-member districts. Um, this question for both sides, 90 seconds. Pretty simple. Should Portland join the small but growing list of cities using ranked choice voting for city elections? I think you guys are starting this time. Absolutely. So right now, 56 jurisdictions in the United States use a form of ranked choice voting. I would like to refute what the opposition has said, which is that single transferable vote is not used currently in the United States. 
It is used in Cambridge, Massachusetts and has been since 1941. If we look at global examples as well, single transferable vote is used in combination with multi-member districts. An example are local Scottish councils in Scotland, in Ireland, as well as in Malta. What we see in all of these different places is that there are more first-time candidates, newer candidates that have very diverse ideologies running for office. And one of the key features of single transferable vote is that it has a threshold that is attainable for all of these different candidates that have not been able to politically viably get elected under the current winner-take-all system. So I think the simple answer is yes. We have data that shows more candidates will feel an incentive to run for office and communities will have more political power to elect the candidate that represents them and who they think will do the best job on council. Can I just add one of um, the myths that the opposition is, is uh, perpetuating is this fact that fringe candidates will get elected. If you look at the turnout of the 2020 mayoral election um, and we had this model, then it would take 22,000 votes for someone to get a seat on city council representing that geographic district. That is not a fringe. 22,000 Portlanders is not a fringe. And just coincidentally, it's just you know a couple thousand short of what it would take to get elected under the Commissioner Maps model. I have a question about this, this fringe candidate argument, which I hear a lot, but I, I want you guys to respond first, 90 seconds. Should Portland adopt ranked choice voting? Yeah, but it should be up to the voters to decide. And that is what uh, Commissioner Maps is proposing and separating it out, because what we have before us uh, in November is a mega complex measure that includes how we vote also with our government model. There's significant, probably five issues all wrapped up in this one measure. We're not opposed to it. We just think it should be up to the voters to decide, which is what the alternative measure is proposing in May. And I, I think that there's a lot of miscommunication about ranked choice voting. So there are about 50 jurisdictions that have ranked choice voting, but not the kind that's being proposed here. This combination of multi-member districts with single transferable vote, where it only takes 25% plus one vote to elect somebody district-based, that is very unique. And so, you know, Cambridge is thrown around, but I'll quote the Oregonian again, when they went to Cambridge and spoke to the people out there, and they said, uh, this is a quote from a Cambridge person, the arrogant political types think they can impose uh, their sense of proportionality on an election, but voters often have another idea. Constituent services can at times be difficult to navigate. Some council members focus their energy and attention around certain neighborhoods or portions of the city, and it goes on. In Cambridge, you have a menu with nine meals. It's a bit of a free-for-all. Um, in Malta, there was a constitutional crisis in 1981 based on this single transferable vote that, we're, uh, that, that the pro side is saying we need here. Um, in Australia, the One Nation Party, which is a xenophobic party that is anti-immigration, anti-climate, or does not believe in climate change, got into, uh, got into uh, was elected into office for about 10 years because of this single transferable vote. French candidates will get into office. So uh, that is something we, we hear a lot under this voting system. The top three candidates who run in a district will win a seat on the city council. So if there is a year where you have just one or, or two popular candidates, under this voting system, couldn't it lead to a situation where a candidate that very few people support gets, get, just gets into City Hall? That's just not going to happen, right? Both on experience and on the math, and the fact that this particular system attracts, will attract different candidates. There have been people for decades who've wanted to run for City Council, but have faced a lot of hurdles. One, they don't want to manage bureaus. Or two, it is really hard to get elected. While we did re remove a barrier, and I appreciate you lifting up the small donor program, 
Um, I find it a little bit ironic that you talk about how it's you know moving wealthy people's influence when you are you just formed a pact to essentially circumvent that whole process. But back to the point at hand is essentially what it means is that uh, folks. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, I was. No, it's okay. That, that, I can, the irony of that comment is, uh, is sticking with in. me and through me. Yeah, so within a single transferable vote with multi-member districts, it allows smaller coalitions to rally behind the candidates that they would like to get elected. And I think to Becca's point, it's really important to mention that 22,000 Portlanders in a district is not a fringe. We should have representation for community groups within a district that without that specific threshold would not be able to elect their candidate of choice. With single member districts, with the threshold being 50% plus one, the dominant group will elect every seat across every single district. Multi-member districts allow smaller coalitions a politically viable pathway to ensure that at least they can elect one of the three seats. No, Sad, I'm gonna give you 30 seconds to respond if you have any yeah, uh, you know, first read the Oregonian endorsement. They mentioned in uh, uh, Dan Ryan's recent election, he got 55% of the vote. Next highest was about half that. Third was one seventh that. And they talked about how some people are not qualified. It only takes 75%, $75 to run for office here. Under this system, all three of those candidates would have been elected into office. Yeah, I was going to echo the same thing. It's not just us saying this. The Oregonian has been re researching this issue for months, done significant reporting, and the math does work out. You do not need 25%. And then there's another issue of ballot fatigue where people will just vote for one or two of the three that they're required to vote for, and you can end up with a fringe candidate. Uh, this is. Can I respond to that? You can have 30 seconds. So I think it's really interesting that you keep citing the Oregonian's endorsement and the fact that that is the only endorsement that your opposition has. We need to look at the robust 50 plus organizations that have been advocating for this issue for years. The League of Women Voters has created reports about this issue previously. They have looked at the research. They have done their due diligence. And I think we need to really give respect to all of those organizations that have been fighting for a more inclusive democracy since they were first created. I want to give you guys a chance to respond to that. How, the accusation that you don't have any community support behind you. Uh, we do. Just go on our website and look at the community support. We're, it's, we're really a grassroots effort. The other side has been raising hundreds of thousands of dollars from uh, about six organizations and rich people because of this and so we're raising money from individuals who live here in Portland and more than that um, I think it's important to note that uh, a lot of these organizations that have endorsed the other side did not even invite us to have a conversation about this the Oregonian did we came we talked about the points that we're now making before you right now and the Oregonian sided with our arguments and the need for a better proposal down the road okay I want to um, move on to a question for you guys one of the main points I've heard made against charter changes is that, particularly when it comes to this question of ranked choice voting in multi-member districts, is that voters just couldn't understand all these changes, it's too complicated. But recent polling seems to show, by and large, voters are supportive of these changes. Why shouldn't we take this as a sign that voters understand what's being asked of them and it's not too complex? I don't, I think it's incredibly complex. I think the issue is voters are fed up with the status quo, and I get it. And that is what driving, what's driving them. And that is why we are advocating for no and we're encouraging voters to look at this very complex, very dysfunctional measure because we get it. You're frustrated and they're just gonna, they're, people are, I've talked to many people. They're like, I'm just gonna vote yes. And the very dangerous follow-up to that is, we'll fix it later. 
even the proponents have come out and said, yes, this is an initial first step. We will fix it later. We've been trying, as the proponent said, seven times this has failed. We do not all agree on this. If this comes in, this is what comes in, especially because you will be creating a model with 12 council members. They disagree, but we see that they, some of them can be very fringe candidates. They're not going to let go of a system that just put them into power. This, the core function of single member districts versus multi-member districts is so critical. If you think we're going to adopt it and then not change it, that's a very significant um, judgment flaw, in my opinion, and that's why we're advocating for no. I want to let you guys respond to that. Are you saying you're going to fix it, fix it later? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, I really want to start off with what you just highlighted, which is that people agree we cannot keep the status quo. What is at risk if Measure 26228 fails is that there is nothing but an empty promise that is on the table. We cannot see an alternative proposal because there is just no written guarantee that there will be a future measure referred to the ballot. And for that reason, all of these organizations understand that we cannot delay even a couple of months having better services for all Portlanders and more accountable representation. I would just emphasize, they keep saying, like, wait till May. There is not a measure on May's ballot. There is absolutely not a me measure on Mayor's ballot. And voters are not going to say yes to something they just said no to. Right. We, we will get into the question of, of what happens if this fails. Um, but I want to ask one more question on sort of ranked choice voting. Uh, under the form of government being proposed, Portland will be saying goodbye to primaries. Is this a good thing? You guys, I believe, start. Uh, yeah, it's not a bad thing. People should have that choice. I think in the proposal right now from uh, Mingus Maps, ranked choice voting will be one of the options, and then people can choose it. You know, right now there's pros and sides to having a primary. So uh, part of it is a lot of people run for office in Portland, so uh, 10 to 20 candidates per seat. What we saw in Seattle is when it went to district-based voting, even more people ran. There's a very low threshold for actually running for office, $75 if you want. And so you'll have, uh, you know, in districts for those three seats, probably 30 people running for office. And so then when it, if there's no primary to winnow down to having two candidates where you can examine what their stance is, examine their platforms, uh, then all of a sudden you'll have to, on November, vote 1 to 30 and rank all these individuals and have to know all these individuals' platforms, which is very hard, which is what we talked about earlier, uh, exhaustion of ballots where people don't rank more than one, two, or three candidates. And so like in Seattle, we saw 27.1% percent of their ballots being exhausted. That's 27.1 percent of ballots that didn't count because people didn't rank all the people that ran for office. So there's good things about a primary, but there's also good things about not having a primary. It could save money. Um, it allows people to um, run throughout the whole election cycle and talk about their issues. I think we need to give people that choice. And right now, you don't have a choice because you have to vote for everything or nothing. Under the proposal that is being espoused that you can vote for in May, and there are uh, city council votes to make that happen right now. Um, you'll have that choice as to whether you want ranked choice voting or not. If we want to have a more inclusive democracy, then we need to eliminate the May primary. What we see in Portland is that the electorate that turns out in the May primary tends to be higher income, tends to be wealthier, right? White tends to be homeowners. And that's not to say that that part of the electorate doesn't deserve to have their voice represented, but they are the ones that are making a majority of the current elections decisions. And a huge part of our population and electorate is not getting to weigh in on that specific outcome. 
moving to rank choice voting allows the outcome to be provided in the general election. So we are going to see more people turning out in general and a more representative turnout too, where you have lower income people, renters, people of color, participating and actually getting to weigh in on who they believe should get elected and express that political power. The other thing I would just uh, weigh in on is, is Vadim talks about uh, exhausted ballots. And an exhausted ballot is basically a ballot that doesn't help elect someone. So that means that more than 50% of Portlanders' ballots were exhausted in the last mayoral election because they did not help elect a mayor. Poll after poll shows Portlanders are furious about the direction the city is heading. And above all, they're worried about crime and they're worried about homelessness. Would voting yes on this ballot measure help solve these problems? If so, how and how soon? You guys start. I think one of the very first ways that Measure 26228 will allow our city to be able to plan long-term and focus on those crucial issues is that we're moving towards a system where that professional city administrator is focusing on the basic services. And we have a city council that is now more accessible and able to be that policy-making body. So they are able to go out into the district and meet with their communities and focus on what those crucial crucial issues are. I also want to go back to this point again that multi-member districts foster collaboration between those elected officials because they need to go back to council and talk about their district's priorities in nature that is organically encouraging them to communicate and to coordinate and figure out which different communities they represent right i think we can all agree that having one individual represent an area of the city there is no way that they will represent every single community group within that area and multi-member districts is increasing the possibility for multiple community groups to be represented within their district. And so having more of those perspectives, you can have an elected official that is bringing a certain point of view that others are not capturing. And so if we want to have a more deliberative democracy where representatives are able to be accountable to that entire district, right? They're accountable to the communities they represent and they're also accountable to that entire district. Then this is a model that will bring that. So we're hearing, yes, this will make a huge dent in the issues facing this Absolutely not. And I think that is the critical issue. It's why I'm campaigning no. Because Kathleen Sadat, who's been a legend in civil um, rights reform in Portland, has highlighted extensively, we need inclusivity and functionality. So as you continue to hear this debate throughout the entire day and throughout this the past few months, all we have heard about is the representation. Yes, that is important, but not once in these discussions is it how are we gonna address homelessness, public safety, and mental health. The way to do that, and Rob Nose came out and uh, had a great interview with the Willamette Week, also talked about this. We are at a situation, it is so significant in Portland right now, we need to hold our elected officials accountable. We need single member districts. We need to know if someone is picking up the trash in our neighborhood. We need to call one person and know if they are responding or not and addressing public safety, addressing homelessness. This issue of multi-member districts is hypothetical, that these three individuals are gonna come together, collaborate, and solve our problems. 
if we don't have a system of either voting them in or voting them out that's very clear and holds their feet to the fire, we're not gonna solve these issues. So yes, inclusivity is critical, but it's not the only issue we need for Portland right now. We need both. And we're gonna get inclusivity with districts and the reforms to public finance. Time. Your time is up. Um, can I have it? We can do one quick exchange, but then we're gonna, we're gonna we have 10 more minutes here. I, I, a couple of things. It's incredibly problematic to assume that inclusivity does not lead to a more functional government. In fact, they are absolutely interrelated and interdependent. We are not making a more inclusive government at the expense of a, a, in a higher functioning government. They actually go hand in hand, and it's really troubling to suggest that. I'm going to give you guys 30 seconds to respond to that. I didn't suggest that. I said we need both. Yeah, look, uh, you know, the, the, the reality of the situation is in two years, if this passes, you'll have um, 12 people elected to city council. We don't even know what the districts will look like. Um, a new mayor elected to city council, a new city manager. Uh, the responsibilities of the three people from each district have not been outlined anywhere. So as we're dealing with all these crises, people are going to be learning on the job. Um, I want to get into City Commissioner Mingus Maps's plan, which I think has been alluded to a lot over the course of the last hour. Uh, Commissioner Maps recently revealed his plan for charter changes that he says is better than the proposal voters will see on the November ballot. He says if voters reject this ballot measure in November, he's going to ask council to get his idea placed on the May 2023 ballot. His plan, which I want to emphasize, has received a lot less scrutiny than the November measure, but here are the basic bones. It would create seven districts with one commissioner elected per district. The mayor would have veto powers, and there would be a separate question on ranked choice voting. Is this plan an improvement on the measure voters will see on the November ballot, and should voters take it into account when they vote in November? Uh, no side, you are beginning. Uh, it, seconds. it is definitely an improvement um, because one, we know it's working in other cities and we, it'll work here. Two, uh, polling was mentioned earlier, and uh, the polling is really interesting. So a few weeks ago, 60% uh, of the people were, let's vote for something to change our city government, and this is what's before us. And so 60% of the people were going to vote for this measure. The latest polling from the Oregonian, 49% of people are now backing this measure. And when they compare this particular measure to what, as, as you concisely put, uh, Commissioner Maps has proposed, uh, they prefer Commissioner Maps' proposal 31% to 30%. So as people learn about the issues here, the intricacies, the problems that can arise, um, the fact that this is very much an experiment that can happen, and an expensive experiment at that, then they, they start saying that we're not going to vote for it. And when they hear about the proposal that's working in other cities, uh, a proposal that's like the, uh, the governments we have in our neighbor, neighboring cities, they prefer that proposal over the current one. And uh, we just need the information to go out, which is why everybody out there should tell their neighbors and tell their friends about the issues that you're hearing right now. Mingus Maps' plan. And should voters take it into account, not just your, your thoughts on it? Voters have one choice of one measure on one ballot this November. That is the option before them. That is what they should be evaluating. That is what they should be voting on. There are three things that are problematic about Commissioner uh, uh, Maps' approach. One is process. This was a measure that was built for and by Portlanders. 18 months, 1,000 hours, you know, thousands of people, Portlanders engaged in this process and helped inform this measure. 
this is like sending them a message that say your voice doesn't matter. The time that you spend away from your family, the time that you showed up time and time again, doesn't matter. I'm going to replace your judgment with my own. So process, that's actually, and I'm worried about a chilling effect. Like who else is going to sign up either for a charter commission or to, to offer public testimony three or four times a month, which happened on the regular. So there's both the process piece, then there's the policy. As we've said repeatedly, single member districts are bad for Portland fundamentally bad for Portland. They do not lead to increased representation. In fact, we will probably be more hyper-localized. It means that, that wealthy and connected folks will have more of an opportunity for representation on city council. And it will lead to a substantial disinvestment in things that we so desperately need, like affordable housing. We cannot afford $1 to move away from affordable housing. We put, should be investing more. And the third thing I would offer is that, is it going to happen, right? I know folks have said that they may vote for something after November. Um, that is uncertain, and voters cannot uh, hitch their wagon to an uncertainty. And if it goes to the, if it does go to the May ballot, voters are not going to say yes to something they just said no to. Read the Portland. Your Tribune. time is up, but I do have a audience question that will sort of dive into what I think you're about to say, which is from Martin, and you're going to have 60 seconds. If this measure does not pass. How long will it really be before we get another chance to make change? Uh, yes, had you start 60 seconds. 10 years. It will be until there is another charter commission that is able to make a recommendation to the city charter. Again, we cannot have voters go off of an empty promise. We have to look at what is tangibly on the ballot and also look at all of the positive impacts that Measure 26228 has. We cannot lose sight of how this measure will immediately ensure that we are working towards a Portland that does bring more efficient city services, that does bring more accountable representation, and all of those different desires and aspirations that Portlanders have. I think it's interesting to cite a poll, but one thing that the Yes campaign has been doing as well is door knocking. We have talked to over 1,300 Portlanders from all over the city. And what we're seeing when we're knocking on those doors is that 60% plus of Portlanders are a strong yes or a lean yes on this measure. They do want this measure. And so I think it's important to look at all of the different discussions that are happening and not just cite one poll. Um, yes, sorry, no team. Uh, how long will it really be before we get another chance for change if this is voted no? It's not 10 years, and I think that's very dangerous to be putting that fear factor out there. There are different mechanisms to bring this forward in terms of a proposed charter amendment. And as we've said, and Commissioner Maps has come out, unveiled that proposal. Commissioner Ryan has said he's advocating for no and supports that as well. So what it takes is initial, an additional vote, right? That is up to us. And this is the challenge to us as voters. Are we going to accept this concept that could be significantly, we believe is more significantly dysfunctional than the current status quo? Or are we gonna demand a plan that we deserve for the city of Portland? We cannot be pressured into making these decisions. There is an alternative. If we want to engage and hold our elected officials accountable, we can make this change. Do not believe we only have 10 years. This is not the only way to make these changes for our city government. And we have had commitments. So uh, Mayor Ted Wheeler has said that he uh, finds fault with this measure and there's other things. Uh, and the up. candidate, Renee Gonzalez, said he'll vote for the alternative as well. So we have the votes. Um, I actually want to ask the yes side something a little similar. 
many of the people who are most <clears throat> familiar with the problems of Portland's government, that is the current city commissioners, haven't supported this plan. Commissioner Mingus Maps has his own plan. Commissioner Dan Ryan said he'll vote no. Mayor Ted Wheeler has kind of, he's voiced concern. How do you explain the fact that those who know the inner workings of the government best aren't on board with the proposal? We're gonna give you one minute. I would look at our list of endorsements, which includes AFSCME um, and SEIU who represent city employees. And those are the folks who actually really understand the inner workings of the government. And those tens of thousands of Portlanders have endorsed the measure. I am less concerned about what the city council feels about the measure than I am about Portlanders who have historically and fundamentally not had a seat at the table. And when we're in those conversations, those are the folks who not only support the measure, um, but they and all Portlanders will benefit from its passage. Um, the, the reverse of that, which I think we've heard from a lot of people in the audience question, is a volunteer commission appointed by the city council spent over a year coming up with these changes, talking to experts, getting feedback. The vast majority of these members voted to send these changes to the ballot. Why should voters trust you, the opposition, over the opinion of the majority of these volunteers who spent over a year crafting this? Also want to give you a minute. So this is about democracy. Uh, there were 20 unelected officials, including myself, that met. And I do want to say that um, uh, I appreciate everything that City Club is doing, but the final proposal that came out was the exact same proposal that City Club had at the beginning as to what the vote should be. So uh, democracy as to whether people that came to our commission meetings and spoke about it um, did not actually occur. And this is about giving people the choice. And so the Charter Commission bundled everything together and said you have no choice. You must vote for this whole package or otherwise. We're giving people a choice. You can vote for uh, smaller districts where you have that representative. You can vote for ranked choice voting as a separate choice and decide whether you want that or not. This is about democracy. And the people we have endorsing and supporting our organization, the uh, Partnership for Common Sense Government, are former elected officials who have been there who realize that this is not workable. So you're talking about Amanda Fritz, you're talking about Mike Lindbergh, you're talking about Stephen Kafuri, you're talking about individuals, including the ones on city council right now. And let's not forget that- Your time is up. Yeah. Uh, last question is an audience question from Wendy, which we're gonna end on. 60 seconds for both sides. Say this measure passes, how will voters know if it's working? What would success look like? What would failure? I think the Charter Commission did an amazing job of outlining what the implementation process would look like and ensuring that the intent of this measure is upheld throughout that process. There will be an oversight committee that will be the body that is looking at that entire implementation process, analyzing it as it goes and ensuring that it does match the intent of what the Charter Commission was able to design. So there are those processes in place where community will be able to provide input on how we are implementing those changes. And the city of Portland is already preparing for this measure to pass. They are already talking with the local counties. This is all ready in place for when the measure does pass. And they'll know it's successful when they feel better represented, when they feel like they have a voice and more choice on the ballot, when they feel like they can get know who to call to get their trash picked up. There will be measurable ways in which Portlanders will see the success of this measure on the ground. Inside, what does success look like? What does failure look like? Well, I think what you will see is more, as we've said, you'll see more representation, which is great, more inclusion, but you will not see functionality. You'll have to call three people to call clean up your trash, right? And each of them can say, it's that person's problem, it's that person's problem, I'm not going to worry about it. So what you'll see is more representation, yes, which is very critical, but we're missing that functionality. Will the problems be solved of homelessness, public safety, and mental health? 
Those are the questions. My concern is we're going to see the result as this is designed. Those won't be solved. So it will be perhaps more representative. Vadim has pointed out that's not always the case. Hypothetically, that's what we're going for. Will we actually see that? We will see. But what we're very concerned about is you won't get the functionality aspect because you'll have the multi-member districts, not the single member districts with one person to call and hold accountable. Thank you guys both so much. We are done with the questions. We are going to go into closing statements. Um, yes, I you begin. You will also begin with the closing statements. Um, you each have two minutes for your remarks. Sure. Uh, well, thank you to the City Club for once again providing such an incredible opportunity for people to come together and listen and learn and really make an informed choice about what is going to move their city forward. And that's what this measure does. It moves Portland forward, away from a system of chaos and dysfunction to a system and a government that's more accountable, more responsive, more effective, efficient, and representative. And please don't just take soul at our word for it. Um, please go visit portlandunitedforchange.com. You will see more than 50 trusted organizations, a long list of community leaders and small businesses. So ask the Oregon Food Bank why there, yes. Ask the ACLU, ask the Portland Association of Teachers, ask the Urban League, ask the NAACP. And the last thing I would leave you with is honestly a personal reflection. Um, it has been such an honor for me to have been able to be in deep and meaningful conversation with Portlanders the last two years, all of whom informed the, and built this measure. It helped me fall back in love with my city. <sighs> Sorry. You know, it's been a really, really hard couple of years for all of us. And for many Portlanders, it's been generationally hard. And yet, folks still continued to show up and would share their challenges and would share what often showed up, honestly, as despair. But at the end of the day, there was always this underlying truth that we are rooting for our collective success. We still believe in our city. And I would encourage you to take that belief and turn it into action by voting yes on Measure 26228. Um, it's going to give us the city that we all need and deserve and a city that truly works for all of us. Your closing remarks? Uh, thank you. I, what I'd like to say, as we, we've heard throughout this debate, the proponents are going to try and tell you that you only have 10 years for a chance for re reform, and that's simply not true. I get it. We are frustrated with the status quo. So am I. I am absolutely frustrated. But we cannot be pressured into adopting a system that is more dysfunctional than what we have now. We've said it throughout this, throughout this debate, Commissioner Maps has presented an alternative. And I think it's important what we didn't stress on, much of that alternative incorporates the proposed charter amendment. He is not coming up with a brand new element. There's core fundamental issues, probably two issues that are different. This is not a significant change. So the choice is up to you. This is what is up to you as a voter. If we are gonna address our significant issues of homelessness, public safety, mental health issues, are we going to go with a system that's truly an academic experiment, it doesn't exist anywhere in the US as a way to solve, solve those critical issues before us, or are we gonna go with a known model that has accountability and will hold our elected officials accountable to the issues that we are facing right now as the city of Portland? We encourage you to vote no on this back a different proposal, back the alternative proposal that Portland deserves. Demand a better plan. So vote no for this measure in November. Thank you.
And that concludes our roundtable debate on measure 26 to 28. A big thanks to our speakers, Sol Mora, Vidi Mazersky, Alyssa Pishka, and Becca Yerbalau for taking the time to answer questions and offer their perspectives. Thank you again to City Club sponsors, season sponsors, Chevron, The Standard, and for this, pr and for this program, Samuels and Nancy Davis Consulting. We hope you have enjoyed this program as much as we have. If you want to learn more about Measure 26 to 28, the City of Portland has created a multilingual website with educational information about the ballot measure. The website includes frequently asked questions and all content has been approved by the Secretary of State. You can find it by going to portland.gov and typing Measure 26 to 28 into the search field. Election Day is just a little more than three weeks away on Tuesday, November 8th. Remember to cast your ballot ahead of the postmark deadline that evening. And if you miss parts of today's debate, it'll be immediately available on YouTube. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Rebecca Ellis. Have a great afternoon, and don't forget to vote.